So there's something that separates Christianity from every other religion. And it's the fact that we worship a Savior who could literally rise from the dead. The difference of Christianity and anything else is that you and I would say, if we believe in Christ, that we believe that he died, he was buried for three days, but then he resurrected from the dead, and he is still alive today. And whether or not you are actually a Christian and actually follow Christ depends on that one fact and whether or not you believe it. See, if you don't believe it, then you would not be a Christian because Christ's followers say that he's alive today, that that tomb is empty, that you can't go and find the remains of Jesus anywhere because they're not here. He is alive. He rose again. And if you couldn't say that, then you couldn't call yourself a follower of Christ because that is the thing that is a central piece of our faith. It's what separates us from all the other religions. It's the one thing that makes Christianity have any sort of power or work at all. Without that, it's just another religion. It's just a really cool story. It's just a really motivational guy who walked around the earth doing some cool things, maybe some miracles even. But unless he raised from the dead, then there's no power behind what he preached. And you and I are still headed to a place called hell. You and I are still left hopeless. You and I have nothing to look forward to, no way out of sin or our brokenness. There's no hope if there's no resurrection. And so as we come together tonight, we're still walking through Hebrews in this series that we're in, the book of Hebrews. And it's awesome that tonight's passage lines up perfectly with what this Sunday is. And we're going to celebrate this Sunday the fact that we believe, if we follow Christ, we believe he is alive, that that tomb is empty, and that he rose again. And our passage literally walked straight into that tonight. So it's cool how God orchestrated that. We just got back. I missed you guys last week. I hope you had a good week. We were A couple of us were in Israel. Um, and the cool thing, I want to show you some pictures about this because we got to literally walk into where they believe the tomb of Jesus actually was. This is the tomb that Joseph of Arimathea owned and where he placed the body of Christ. Not many yards away was the place where he was crucified. And we got to see that site, Golgotha, this, this cliff kind of face where you could see a skull in the rock. And then just a little bit away is this tomb. And they believe that is a site where Jesus was buried. And so we got to stand there. If you keep kind of scroll through those for me, we got to go into uh, this tomb. And as I was in here on the next one, there's me. Like behind me is where his body would have been. And how incredible in that moment to be standing in this tomb and it was empty. I couldn't go in there and find bones or remains or some mummy wrapped up. Like I walked in there to an empty tomb and just to sit in there for a moment and to know Jesus isn't here because he's alive. He's the reason I call myself a Christian. He's the reason I go to church. He's the reason I do what I do today as a pastor. He has changed my life. And it's because he wasn't there. It's because he's risen and alive. And Christianity is the one true religion that we can actually believe because we serve a risen Savior. And so tonight's passage, we're in Hebrews chapter 2. If you want to open there, you can. We're just going to look at two verses, 9 and 10. And the author of Hebrews is still telling us why Jesus is better than everything. That empty tomb is a great reason. (laughs) One of the best reasons. 
We serve a risen Savior, and so he's better than everything. And so tonight, over the next two weeks, we're looking at one of the reasons he's better than everything is that he's the perfect Savior. And I'm going to show you five reasons from this text why. Tonight, we're only going to look at two of them. Just two reasons tonight. Next week, we'll look at the other three. But Jesus is the perfect Savior. Now listen, many people have claimed to be saviors. <laughs> tons of different religions, tons of different prophets, and people have claimed be the savior of the world. Even the Antichrist one day will, cra- will claim that, that he is the savior. But Acts 4.12 tells us that there's no other name, no other name by which man can be saved except through Jesus Christ. So it doesn't matter who's claiming to be that savior. We know only Jesus is. So as the author is writing this, right, the author of Hebrews, he's writing to some Hebrew people, Jewish people that are going to hear this, and they're going to have two big issues with, with that statement, right? The first issue they're going to have is that how could Jesus, we just read he was superior to angels. How could he be superior to angels if angels never die and Jesus does die? His death, wouldn't that make him less than the angels? And they they would have to wrestle with that question. And the second thing is how could Jesus die at all? The fact that God could die, how could a God die? 1 Corinthians one twenty three tells us that would be a stumbling block for them. Like Jewish people will think that and be like, there's no way God could die. And so they cannot then believe in Jesus. And they're going to stumble over that. And so the whole point of these two verses is to, to reconcile those two things and to answer those questions for us. So let me read with you guys real quick. Verse 9 and 10, it says, But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while. now." crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Now here's the deal. Angels might not be able to die But angels also can't beat death and sin. They can't conquer them. They can't come back from the dead. They couldn't die for us if they tried. Only Jesus could willingly decide to humble himself, to submit himself to death, and then kick its butt and come back and say, I beat you. I conquered you. There's no angel that would have the power to do that. And so Jewish people would get caught up on that first thought, not realizing the power that it would take to literally die and then say, psych, I'm coming back because I'm bigger than you and I'm stronger than you and I can conquer sin and death. That's Jesus. Only Jesus who can do that. And so I'm going to show you guys tonight, it's, our, our theme here is that he's the perfect savior, right? And so as the perfect Savior, I, I got a couple reasons for you. The first two are this. He's our substitute. He makes a perfect Savior for us because he's our substitute. So verse 9 starts off, it says, but we do see Jesus. So like Jesus is making this conscious choice. He wasn't forced to. It wasn't like God was like, oh, what am I going to do now? Like humanity messed up. Now I got to have a plan. What's going to happen? How am I going to figure this out and solve this problem? It was always this choice that God had made in this plan. And Jesus willingly said, I'll be the one. Send me. Like, I will be the one to die for humanity. 
this willing choice. And look what he does, what this choice entails. It says, who was made lower than the angels for a little while. We already know he's greater than angels. We just, we saw that in the last passage. But in this choice, Jesus decides being greater than angels that he would step down for a a brief moment to take human form, to become like you and me. Still God, but also at the exact same time human. And as he does that, he steps down into a place of humility. Philippians 2 says that he's so humble, he became a servant to us. He's the king. Why would the king ever serve his own servants? That's exactly what Jesus does. He takes his position where he's like, not less valuable, but he's capable of dying. And so when he becomes lower than the angels, he's assuming this ability, this mortality to be able to die while still being God. And then it says this, now, right? That was just for a little while. But now he's crowned with glory and honor because death couldn't stop him. Death couldn't hold Jesus back. It wasn't forever that he would just die and it was this permanent thing, but he submitted himself for a while to pay our penalty, to die. And because he did that, it says now he's crowned. He stepped back onto the throne where he belongs, where who he actually is as the king of the universe, and he's crowned with glory and honor. You know why? Because death couldn't beat Jesus. Sin wasn't strong enough to hold him down in punishment. He was able to get up and conquer them and come back to life. And he proved, he proves to us with that empty tomb, I'm better than everything. Who else could do what Jesus did? Nobody. Not even the angels could do that. Jesus was able to die and come back to life. And it says next, it says, because he suffered death didn't have to. He willingly chose to suffer that agony and torture and pain. And worse than that, the punishment of sin itself. You know why? Because he hates death and he hates sin and he hates that you have to die. And so he says, I'm going to step down into this and I'm going to take their place because I love them so much. I hate death, but I love them. And because Jesus loves you, he died for you. He suffered when he shouldn't have had to suffer. He became the thing he hates most, which is sin. And he did it for us. And it says this, so that by the grace of God, stop there for a second, don't miss that. Grace of God is huge. It was God's choice and plan, remember? It wasn't this thing he was forced to do. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. God could have let us get what we deserve, but he chose not to. And instead of letting man pay for his sin, he chose to pay it for him, for us. It was God's grace on us, right? This gift that we don't deserve, this free gift, he doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us what we don't, which is salvation, and he did it by giving his own life. Jesus suffered for you. I hope you know that. I hope you understand how big that is. The value of the gift that you've been given. You might be sitting here tonight and you don't even, even get it. You don't recognize how valuable the gift that God put in your hands really is. 
too busy focused on school and friends and girlfriends and boyfriends and other stuff. You're too busy texting and on TikTok to even stop for a moment to realize where you're actually at in life and that without Jesus, you are on your way to hell. Without Jesus, you are lost. Without Jesus, there is only death for you. Jesus went to death. And he rose again. To put this gift in your hands that so many of us don't even care about. It's the most valuable thing you'll ever be given. It's eternal life. It's forgiveness. It's a relationship with your maker. And it's free. Because he died on a cross, it's free for you. If you'll receive it. That's great. The grace of God. It says this is what he's done because of the grace of God. Are you ready? He might taste death for everyone. This is using the imagery of a, of a cupbearer to a king. The kings wouldn't eat their food immediately, right? Someone would be trying to poison them or kill them. And so they would have these cupbearers that would literally taste their food and drink their wine and make sure that it was safe for them to eat and it wasn't poisoned. And the imagery here is that the king, Jesus, is tasting the, the wine and the food for his servants. For you and me, like the entire pictures like put upside down. Why is the king, King Jesus, tasting my food for the poison, right? Why is King Jesus protecting me? That should be my job as I serve him. But instead, he's come down and said, I love you so much. Give me that. I know there's poison in the sin that you have in your life. And so I'll take it for you. I'll consume that punishment and that penalty for you because I know it will kill you. And instead, he dies so that you can live. He tasted death for everyone that will believe. Will you believe? Will you accept his gift? Or will you waste it? Will you waste the life of a king, the God of the universe? He's our substitute, and that makes him this perfect Savior. The second reason out of the five is this. He's the captain of salvation. (laughs) And here's what I mean by that. Verse 10 says, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory. So so here's what God's going to do. He's bringing people to glory. He's actively pursuing your heart. He's leading the way to salvation, and he's like, follow me. And what he's doing is he's calling you. Like tonight is an example. The fact that you're sitting here tonight and listening to these words from God, from his Bible, means that he's calling you. The Holy Spirit is at work in your heart right now, causing you to hear the words. Hear his voice. Say, I want you. I love you. I want to forgive you. I want you to be saved. Follow me. Are you hearing it tonight? Are you too distracted with other thoughts and other things? Or do you hear God pursuing you? He says, he's calling many sons and daughters to glory. Are you one of those sons and daughters that are saying, yes, Jesus, I'll follow. I want forgiveness. I want salvation. I'll follow you. 
He's this captain of salvation. It says, because of that, he's calling his sons and daughters to glory. It says, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, like it was, stop there for a second. It was fitting that God would do this? Why is the cross fitting to God? Well, let's walk through it for a second. Here's, here's a couple reasons why it was fitting. Think about who God is. Think about his wisdom. The cross is fitting because of God's wisdom because the cross was his masterpiece of wisdom. We had a massive problem that nobody could figure out, nobody could solve, no one was good enough to fix. On our own, there was no solution, but the cross is ingenious because the wisdom of the cross says that we can be saved. This infinite God can give his life and save us. The cross brings salvation. It's fitting for him in his wisdom because no one else could have done what he did. The second thing is, it's fitting because of his holiness. Think about how holy God is. At the cross, he displays righteousness, his hatred to sin. He doesn't say sin's fine, just do whatever you want. I'm just going to overlook it and everyone's good. No, he says, I still hate sin. I hate it so much, I'm not going to just tolerate what you do or excuse it away or turn a blind eye. Instead, sin is getting paid for because I'm just and holy. I'll be the one to pay for it. See, God didn't just let it go. God said, I'm going to pay for sin and I'll be the one to do it. The cross was fitting to him because of his holiness. Look at his power. Think about the power of God. The cross was fitting because of the power of God because in just a few moments, just a couple days period of time, Jesus pays, takes on the wrath of God. He pays these eternal punishments for every single one of us that owe it, and he does it in this condensed amount of time. In three days, he takes the full wrath of God. See, the cross was just a physical punishment. The real punishment was when Jesus stood before God. In those three days, took taking the punishment we would deserve of hell, he paid for it. His power, it's displayed right there. Who else could do such a thing? Only Jesus could have enough power to withstand that and still rise again. What about his love? The cross is fitting because of his love. Isn't isn't that part just obvious? The fact that he loved you enough to die for you? Look, I, I can tell you I don't deserve it. I look at Jesus and go, why? Why me? Why would you die for me? You're so much better than me. And yet he did it. He did it because he loved you. The cross is fitting because of God's love. It was a place where he could pour his love out onto you and show you that he really means it as he was nailed to that tree. And finally, what about God's grace? Like the cross is fitting because of the grace of God. It was a way for him to say, I'm going to give you what you don't deserve. That's grace. I'm going to forgive you when you don't deserve to be forgiven. For all these reasons, like it was fitting for God to do this. It worked out with his plan and his purpose. And then it says this, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. There it tells us, this captain, right, of our salvation. The Bible says, 
the pioneer of their salvation. That word means like trailblazer. It was someone who would go ahead of the rest and blaze the trail. Jesus is literally showing us the way to salvation. He's blazing the trail, a way we didn't know how to get there. And even if we knew, we couldn't have done it. We were incapable, so he clears the path so we can actually follow him to salvation. Otherwise, there's no salvation for us. Like I said before, if that tomb, if we still find his body there, this is worthless. There is no hope. But it was empty because he blazed the trail. And now we can follow Jesus into salvation. There's three ways that, that we follow him. Number one is obedience, right? He showed us obedience. Just a few nights before his arrest or for his crucifixion, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane before he's arrested. And he's praying. And as he's praying, what is he asking? He's saying, God, let this cup pass from me. Like, don't make me have to do this. I don't want to have to go do this. If there's any way, let me out of this. He's thinking about the cross. He's thinking about the beatings. He's thinking about the punishment. And he's like, God, Father, please let this pass from me. Says he was literally sweating blood. He was so sorrowful. And you know what? He ends by saying, but not my will. Yours. And he shows us obedience as he marches to the cross. And as he's slain for you and me. What if we were to follow him as he blazes that trail of obedience? Obey God the way Jesus demonstrated for us. The second way is through suffering. As Jesus took that pain and took that suffering and that beating without cursing God, you know what we hear from Jesus' mouth? If you look at all the words that Jesus said, all the little red letters during the crucifixion, you know, every single thing is kind. Every single thing is loving. Every single thing is his prayer for the people around him. He never once looks at the Romans and curses them. He never once looks up to God and says, I hate you. Why'd you do this? He took suffering in a way that gave glory to God, and we can follow his example in that. Some of you guys might be suffering tonight. You might be hurting tonight. You might be wondering, God, why would you let this be happening in my life? You can always look to Jesus and say, I'm not sure why this is happening right now, but God, I glorify you. In the middle of my pain, in the middle of my suffering, I know you have a plan and you love me. You can follow Jesus' example. And then the third thing is this. We can follow him as he blazes the trail to death and resurrection. You do that by surrendering your heart and your life. They say, Jesus, I know that I am not good enough on my own to ever find forgiveness from God. But because you died and you rose again, you tell me if I trust you and give you my life that I'll be saved. And I want to follow you into eternal life. I want to have that same resurrection happen in me that maybe you walked in here dead tonight inside and you can leave tonight resurrected with life in your heart. The same resurrection that we celebrate on Easter the one that only Jesus can do inside of you. You could follow Jesus and his example in that. But here's my question as we end tonight. How much do you believe it? You see, we could say the words all day long. But unless you really believe that tomb's empty, unless you really believe he's the son of God, there's no power to your faith. Your religion is empty. Your Christianity is false. False. 
unless you believe tonight that Jesus really is alive and that by handing him your heart, you will be saved, then there's nothing for you. But the good news is he really has. And he really is offering it to you. And if you turn to him tonight, he will really save you and really forgive you of your sin. And you can really celebrate Easter for what it is, the resurrection of Jesus, the power of salvation. There was a book written called Countdown, A Time to Choose. It was written by this guy, G.B. Hardy. And basically, he, he, in this book, he talks about the ultimate question of life. What's the ultimate question you could possibly ask during your lifetime? And he says it's this. Has anyone ever cheated death? And did he leave the way open for me? Guess what? The answer is yes. Jesus conquered. He didn't just cheat. He destroyed death and sin. And he left the gate wide open for you if you'll follow him in faith. As the band comes up here in just a minute to lead us in another song, here's what I want to ask you guys to do. Would you just in your heart, just for a second, bow your heads and close your eyes and ask Jesus, have I really followed you into this new life? Do I really believe that Jesus has risen from the grave? And am I trusting Jesus with all my heart to save me? As we sing this song, will you just ask yourself those questions?